Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. That car just drove through them. Black bodies under attack. The most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. What's behind this disturbing rise in white supremacist violence? And is it empowering white vigilantes? We'll investigate. Independent autopsies. An independent autopsy shows he was shot five times in the back. Why so many families are taking the fight for justice into their own hands and how Colin Kaepernick is stepping up to help them. Plus, they're the generation that's shaking things up. Love them or hate them, Gen Z's taking the world by storm. Gen Z is the most racially diverse uh, generation in American history. It's gonna be a lot of slow singing and flower bringing. And it's a big day here at Revolt. We're honoring hip hop royalty, Biggie Smalls, on his heavenly 51st birthday. That's all tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Hi everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Mara Escampo. We start with one of the biggest dangers in our country, radicalized white men. Top government officials say white supremacy is one of the deadliest domestic terror threats and black people are the targets. It's such a major problem that President Biden spoke out against white supremacist violence during his commencement speech at Howard University, which took place on the heels of a recent attack at a Texas mall and one year after the racist massacre at a Buffalo grocery store that killed 10 people. Tonight, Revolt Black News investigates the dangerous rise of white supremacist violence. People in Allen, Texas are still mourning tonight after a gunman killed eight people at a mall last week. It's a terrifying sign of the times. The suspect's social media accounts full of neo-Nazi white supremacist posts. White supremacist violence from homegrown domestic terrorists. Dylan Roof is being held in a jail cell. 2015, white supremacist Dylan Roof killed nine black people at a church in South Carolina after joining them for a Bible study. Oh my God, that, that car just drove through him. 2017, one person killed and 35 injured after a white supremacist drove his car into counter-protesters during the Unite the Right rally. 2019, white nationalist Patrick Crucius murdered 23 at a Texas Walmart in one of the deadliest mass shootings in American history. And it was just packed full of people. We saw, you know, dead bodies. 2022, white supremacist Peyton Gendron killed 10 black people at a grocery store in Buffalo. Most of the victims were elderly. The alleged shooter wearing full body armor and tactical gear, targeting people of color. 2023, just weeks ago, neo-Nazi Mauricio Garcia murdered eight at a Texas outlet mall. All of his victims, people of color, the youngest just three years old. Alan, I don't want you calling about the shooting. It's pretty bad. The white supremacist movement in the United States is is surging. I'll, I'll put it that way. And, you know, it's it's a danger as we see played out in these horrific shootings that that take place. The Southern Poverty Law Center reports at least 733 hate groups within the United States in 2021. 98 were white nationalist groups. 
According to the FBI, in 2016, there were 6,121 hate crime incidents. In 2021, that number rose to 10,840, a staggering increase of 77% and the highest level of hate violence in three decades. What's most alarming? Hate crimes against black Americans account for nearly half of all race-based crimes. A 2021 FBI report finding bias against African-Americans overwhelmingly comprised the largest category of race-based hate crime incidents, with a total of 56% of race-based hate crimes being motivated by anti-black bias. That same year, the Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security declaring white supremacist violence the biggest threat to the country. The top domestic violent extremist threat we face comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocate for the superiority of the white race. This month, President Biden sounded the alarm again during his commencement speech at Howard University. The most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. Just two miles away, this was happening. Hundreds of khaki-wearing masked members of the far-right group Patriot Front marching on the National Mall, carrying shields, upside-down flags, and banners reading, Reclaiming America. What most people fail to recognize, and, and we really need to do this, is that this these ongoing culture wars, this anti-LGBTQ, this anti-trans, this anti-women, this anti people of color and advancements of, of people of color is all tied together in this white supremacist ideology. Now, some fear this rise in white supremacy could be empowering vigilantes. I believe it is a manifestation of white supremacy. It's not with that hate ideology, but it's something that's embedded in this nation's foundation. We were founded on a white supremacist notion. Last year, Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted of murder charges for killing two people during BLM protests in 2020 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and hailed as a hero on the right. Last month, a white man in California physically attacked a black woman in a TJ Maxx for reportedly stealing. And last week in New York, 24-year-old Daniel Penny was arrested and charged with one count of second-degree manslaughter after putting mentally ill street performer Jordan Neely in a chokehold on the subway. Minutes later, Neely was dead. We have to correct it. We have to reckon with our past, talk about what happened, why, and how we can move forward together. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. 
There's one part of the criminal justice system that's often overlooked, the medical examiner's office. An autopsy is arguably the most crucial piece of a murder or wrongful death investigation. And it can be the difference between a conviction or a killer going free. Now, many black families are finding that getting an independent autopsy is their only hope for justice. It's so important that now former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick is paying for independent autopsies, helping families find the truth. In 2014, Chicago police officers shot 17-year-old Laquan McDonald after they say he lunged at them with a knife, a clear case of self-defense. The reason my client Jason fired his weapon that, that evening back in October 2014 is that um, he truly was in fear for his life as well as uh, the lives of his fellow police officers. The shooting was ruled a justifiable homicide. Officer Jason Van Dyke not charged. But the autopsy released several months later told a very different story. It showed that Laquan had been shot 16 times, including nine in the back. The report, part of what led to widespread calls for the video to be released. Three months later, a lawsuit was filed demanding the footage. When the video was finally made public more than a year after the shooting, it showed that Laquan was walking away when Officer Van Dyke pulled up and emptied his clip, shooting the teen 16 times in 15 seconds. We, the jury, find the defendant, Jason Van Dyke, guilty of aggravated battery with a firearm. In 2018, Van Dyke was convicted of second-degree murder. Autopsies are very important, especially in wrongful death cases or possible wrongful death cases in a civil aspect, but they're also as equally important in criminal cases. In Laquan's case, the autopsy was thorough, accurate, and led to accountability, highlighting just how important these reports can be. But many Black families find that's not always the case, especially in police-involved shootings. An autopsy is handled by a coroner or medical examiner, depending on the state. The medical examiner is a forensic pathologist who conducts the autopsy themselves and is generally appointed by the mayor. But the coroner is completely different. They are elected or appointed, and in some cases may also work as a police officer or prosecutor in the same county. They have no medical training and hire a forensic pathologist to conduct the autopsy. It's important for the sheriff's office and the coroner's office to be separate entities so that there is no outside influence because you want a completely unbiased and independent autopsy. Get an independent autopsy if you can afford one because that's where your answers are going to come from. A 2021 study found that 55% of fatal encounters with the police between 1980 and 2018 were misclassified in the U.S. National Vital Statistics System. The miscalculation rate, a staggering 59.5% in deaths of Black people. A 2022 UCLA study found that law enforcement officials were present during the autopsies of 51 of the 59 cases they reviewed. 
you have these outside influences, the officers, uh, law enforcement, uh, the kind of temperature in the community about things that have happened that can affect that. So if the medical examiner has this case where they have a death, um, they know there's issues surrounding it, it's easier, it's oftentimes easier to say that the manner and cause of death is uh, undetermined versus saying this was, you know, murder or this was homicide. Sometimes there's influence from other officials in the city. Independent autopsies often uncover crucial discrepancies. An independent autopsy shows he was shot five times in the back by LA County deputies. The autopsy shows Paez Duran's hands were raised when officers shot and killed the protester. Fatal wound to the back of Mr. Brown's head as he was leaving. Now, families are increasingly seeking independent autopsies to help them get justice. 35-year-old LaShawn Thompson was arrested for misdemeanor simple battery in June of 2022. LaShawn was schizophrenic and was being held in the jail's psychiatric wing. Three months later, LaShawn was found dead in Fulton County Jail, his autopsy conducted by the Fulton County Medical Examiner. While the autopsy did note a severe bed bug infestation, the cause of death was ruled undetermined. But LaShawn's family says he had more than 1,000 bed bugs on his body when he was found in his cell and that he was eaten alive. LaShawn laid in a jail cell. Can you imagine bugs crawling all over him? He's streaming and he's hollering and nobody come to help him. LaShawn's family is seeking a second independent autopsy and it's being paid for by Colin Kaepernick. Last year, the former NFL quarterback launched the Autopsy Initiative, where he pays the three dollars to $5,000 fee for a secondary autopsy for family members of anyone whose death is police-related. We must confront systemic oppression as a doctor would a disease. You identify it, you call it out, you treat it, and you defeat it. Across the country, there are also other efforts to ensure the integrity of autopsies performed on civilians killed while in police custody. Los Angeles is one of 10 counties in California where the coroner's office and sheriff's office are separate. A new bill by the California State Senate would separate the medical examiner's office from the sheriff's office in the remaining 48 counties. Another bill would require a death certificate to state whether the person died in law enforcement custody and whether it was at the hands of law enforcement officials. We'll continue to follow this story and keep you updated as these families fight for justice. Well, coming up next on Revolt Black News, a new generation is setting the world on fire. Get ready for Generation Extra, y'all. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Welcome back. Well, it seems like everywhere you look these days, the generations are at war. Millennials are taking over as the largest demographic group. Boomers are criticizing everyone as they do. And Gen X is just watching it all from the sidelines. But there's a new group that's on the rise, and they are making their own rules. And Kennedy Rue is here to explain. Kennedy, those are your people. Exactly. <laughs> and that is right, Mara. Generation Z is not coming to play. They are living out loud. Some say too loud. But no matter how you see it, there's no doubt they're shaking up the world. Welcome to Generation Extra. Leaders of the new school. Gen Zers are plugged in and powered up. It was about electing an agenda. It was about electing a movement. These trendsetters are dominating in sports, tech, education, and activism. What do we want? Abortion! 69 million strong, they're the most diverse group in history. 14% are black, 4% are multiracial, and 25% are Hispanic. A lot of us grew up feeling like we weren't heard. You know, so it's not until we're 30, 40, and even now, 50 years old, we're starting to find our voice. Tamara Lewis is a best-selling author and a mother to a Gen Zer. I love the fact that um, our Gen Zers really feel um, really rooted in who they are. We don't care if people die. According to the research firm Edelman, 70% of Gen Zers are involved in a social or political cause. Young voters turned out in record numbers in 2020, which is why I sit here as the first black woman to be vice president of the United States. And that is why we are now giving billions more dollars to HBCUs. When George Floyd was killed, Gen Zers overwhelmingly powered the Black Lives Matter movement. And recent Supreme Court protests over Roe v. Wade were nearly 100% Gen Z-led. Fighting for everything from social justice to climate change to gun control. Well, I'm here to talk about gun violence. I love the fact that our Gen Zers really feel really rooted in who they are. Them being able to tap into different cultures and experiences all from their cell phone can be used for a really huge, powerful change in the world. But there is a dark side to all that fight. Every day, a new online brawl or bullying is setting social media on fire. I don't understand this generation these days, but this was taking place now. Wild scenes of fights and smash and grabs filling the feeds. That's the Nordstrom. For the first generation that's grown up in a fully connected social media world, everything is amplified. I can't stress enough the impact of them growing up in this digital age. That's really important for all of us to understand because we're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with them? Why are they like this? Why do they need to be so expressive? And their lack of sometimes empathy or shock for things that would have like really like blew our minds when we were younger in their age. This generation is the most difficult to work with. They're taking their share of criticism for being entitled. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't really think I need any training. They do. I think this is actually pretty easy. And not knowing the meaning of hard work. Are you okay? Joyelle Crawford is a career coach who has mentored some Gen Zers. Everyone views the youngest generation as 
the X generation or whatever. Uh, they fill in the blank of negative, negative connotations for entitled and bold and bratty. But I think Gen Z knows where it's at. No one can do it like we can. We are the baddest in the land. We are the educated ones. They know what they want. I think that's a fantastic thing to embrace and to celebrate and acknowledge when uh, companies are looking to hire talent. You would want somebody who's sure of themselves and confident, um, but that's that's something that's that's needed, and and especially in leading our global economy. But their POV has been forged in fire. Raised during the Great Recession of 2008 and coming of age during the COVID pandemic has taken a toll, spiraling many in Gen Z into a full-blown mental health crisis. There have been studies that show that they feel that they have had, have experienced the worst of history. They have seen so much. Um, our climate is in disarray. Our social justice, as we see the racial reckoning that 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 exploded in, by the you know the murder of George Floyd in 2020, a global pandemic. Like they have experienced things that we honestly never grew up experiencing, um, and and so they feel like they've been through it. Navigating what sometimes feels like a world on fire, Black Gen Z is out to shake things up. I think that they're taking some of the baggage that their grandparents, their parents have had to carry and the injustices that we've experienced in the past, and now they're mad for us. <laughs> so they're like, "Ain't you ain't you gonna treat me like that. A force to be reckoned with, they believe their collective force can and will change the world. They know their value inherently. So they want to be compensated and acknowledged and celebrated for that. Here now to talk about life according to Gen Z, I'm joined by our own Kennedy Rue, self-described Gen Z historian Khalil Green and Republican political strategist Whitley Yates. So Khalil, I want to start with you um, about the ways that Gen Z is unique, because a lot of what we see and what we've talked about is more unique to youth than Gen Z specifically. For example, street protests. Often in previous generations, we've seen that when people are young or impulsive behavior that you may regret later. Those a lot of times are things that take place when you're young. In what ways do you see Gen Z being truly unique and distinct from previous generations? I think when we... When we determine what is unique about Gen Z, it's very uh, foundational to look at the statistics, right? So Gen Z is the most racially diverse uh, generation in American history. We have the most members of our cohort that are non-white. We are also the most diverse in terms of sexual orientation. Uh, the New York Times reported that about one in five Gen Zers identify as LGBTQ+. And these identities really impact how we show up in the world, whether that's climate change, which is really new, um, for us as a generation of champion, as well as uh, certain aspects of racial justice and culture and, and finding ways of creating a multicultural society that's very unique because we are so diverse. And Kennedy, how do you see that diversity showing up when it comes to activism? 
I mean, we see it in protests about kids coming across coalitions to unite and fight against change. I mean, we saw with the Ralph Yarrow protests, all the kids coming together, walking out, standing for something, you know. I think that our generation is unique because, like Khalil said, we are the most diverse. We have so many different identities amongst our cohort, and we have personal relationships with these people that might be different from us. So I think that that's a unique part of our generation, this like cross-coalition organizing, which makes sense why older generations, you know, want to suppress our history and kind of keep us from that, because I think we together are very powerful. Whitley, we have seen that Gen Z is very politically active, but we've seen them overwhelmingly support Democrats in these past midterm elections. Um, they're largely in favor of LGBTQ rights, access to abortion. They view socialism more favorably than previous generations. So what does all this mean for the right? What does this mean for the future of the Republican Party? You know, one of the most interesting things that I find about Gen Z is they tend to really value optics over impact. Um, they are a generation that has been incessantly influenced by social media. They have always had access right in the palms of their hands to any and everything. And so what has happened is that they have moved to a more progressive state where they are valuing things like LGBTQ plus rights and the intersectionality of their identities as opposed to conservative and traditional values. Now, one would think that this would be a problem for the right, but in actuality, what it has done is it has emboldened those who would be more moderate or traditional to really cling on specifically black men to conservative values and principles and the Republican Party. I would say Gen Z really does care about substance. And one of the reasons we have to care is because we came of age in a pandemic and the recession that followed in the wake of a racial justice movement through Black Lives Matter. What we have seen is that by and large, black people across the board and across identities are sticking with progressive values, especially as it relates to social issues. And something that Gen Z values is having a good social safety net and having a lot of progressive policies that help everyone because there's so much economic uncertainty as we've seen over the past few years. We have to talk about mental health because this is such a huge part of what we're all dealing with as a society right now, but specifically Gen Z. It's estimated that Gen Z is twice as likely as older groups to be depressed. Suicide rates for black people 10 to 24 increased 36 percent from 2018 to 2021. Khalil, why do you think that we're seeing this right now? One thing we have to, of course, discuss is social media and the effects of constantly comparing ourselves to people that we see online and always being flooded with images of people who have a seemingly perfect life or perfect relationship. And when we are in a, a situation where we're constantly comparing ourselves and constantly feeling like we don't have enough, that can cause a lot of discomfort. Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General actually just released a loneliness report that showed that young people, specifically uh, Gen Z age individuals, are at the highest risk of feeling uh, lonely, and that loneliness can have adverse health outcomes that are very similar to the effects of smoking. Um, so it is a very deadly epidemic that's driven up largely, of course, by social media, uh, by the pandemic, which separated us from our friends at some very key moments in our lives. And I think the way out of this is, is revitalizing community and community spaces in person that are physical where people can come together. That would be one thing that I would definitely say was probably better in previous generations that we've lost in this digital age. 
But one thing that uh, we do see that we can definitely applaud and that gives reason for hope is how outspoken I feel Gen Z is about their mental health, protecting their peace, setting boundaries, drinking your water, minding your peace, all things that we didn't necessarily prioritize before. Um, so hats off to you guys for leading the way on that. Kalia Whitley, thank you so much. And Kennedy, thank you. But you're not going anywhere. After the break, Kennedy has our summer entertainment preview. I sure do. And we'll be talking all things summertime fun. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. Welcome back. Well, the weather's finally getting warmer and it looks like summer entertainment is heating up too. Kennedy is back with more on that. Hey, Kennedy. That's right, Mara. Big names are hitting the road from Beyonce and Janet to Snoop. We've got the latest on the summer tours to watch. But first, Hollywood's writer strike is hitting creators of color just as we're facing a black TV resurgence. I'm a writer, so I have a writer-led company, and it's very important to me that nobody cross a picket line. Bridgerton and Scandal creator Shonda Rhimes on the record and showing support. More than 15 days in, don't expect the Writers Guild strike to be ending anytime soon. No contract, no peace! For the next few months or however long it goes, I won't be putting pen to paper. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really hard are the people who are doing this because they need to make a living wage. And yeah. so if they're gonna get to make a living wage, then I'm happy to be on strike. And that action is cutting across the black creative front. Even Snoop weighed in. The writers are striking because streaming, they can't get paid. Because when it's on the platform, it's not like in the box office. In the box office, if it does all these numbers, you may get it up. Oh, it did this many, here's another check. But on streaming, you got 300,000 hours that somebody watched your movie, where's the money? And that is at the heart. As writers, production companies, and studios try to cut through the differences on how the media business should have handled streaming services. The advent of streaming by the studios has become an existential threat to our jobs. Brittany Nichols is a writer on Quinta Brenton's Emmy-winning series, Abbott Elementary. The pay model uh, has not changed to meet the new realities of this business, and it doesn't allow writers to share in the success of the shows that we work for. There are three major points here, one of those being compensation, another is the number of writers staffed in a writer's room, and finally, the emergence of artificial intelligence. Daily Variety senior entertainment writer Angelique Jackson says those folks out on the streets are in this fight for the long haul. You see a showrunner like Quinta Brunson out on the picket lines kind of fighting for her writing staff, knowing that, yes, you know, while maybe she is kind of in the spotlight right now, she is also a writer. I am striking because paying writers a day rate is an abomination. We are skilled professionals and we deserve to be paid that way. Stop being cheap. And a black lady sketch show creator, Robin Thede, is carrying the torch. Black, indigenous, and people of color make up just 37% of the WGA's reported 6,000 person membership. Black writers make up just 16%. And this walkout comes at a time of a black TV resurgence. Shows like Abbott Elementary, for example, which has been an incredible hit, that show was about to begin its writer's room for the third season. And yes, this writer's strike, depending on how long it goes, 
could affect when that show comes back. Another layer to the strike is the trickle-down effect, especially for the day and nighttime talk shows, which rely heavily on the writers that are now in limbo. According to music journalist Devon Jefferson. Um, Lil Uzi Vert, they were set to have their debut appearance on Saturday Night Live, the 48th season. And as you know, they're not they're not writing any any material for the 48th season right now. So, you know, Lil Uzi Vert's uh, performance was canceled. While writers are striking, many music artists are taking to the road as summer touring season is on fire. Within the last decade, music festivals have grown into a major money maker, especially for artists who can command anywhere from $10,000 to a quarter of a million and more. These lucrative opportunities weighing more onto you know, behalf of the artists rather than, you know, the labels or corporations. And it isn't just about the music at these festivals. Sometimes it's all about the creativity and connecting. Everybody still having a good time? Yeah. Are you learning a lot about how creative and how just great we are as entrepreneurs? Hey guys, what's up? It's your girl Kennedy here at Something in the Water Festival at the Walmart Makers Studio. Come with me as we support and recognize black businesses and creatives from fashion to art and much more. And like so many others on site at the Something in the Water Festival, the space provided an opportunity for black entrepreneurs to have a free exchange of black excellence and sharing of ideas. You have people in your backyard, people who you know who went to school with you in your own community that are producing things and are going off on a limb on their dreams. It's our job to support those dreams, you know what I mean? And that support was evident in terms of Walmart's influence. Archie J, who's behind Archie, the podcast, knows firsthand about having the right support. Talk to me about how helpful it is to have those resources as a black creative when black creatives make less than their white counterparts. So fundamental because, I mean, as you just stated, the, 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 the facts to that, you know, it just felt good that someone else was seeing the value and you know wanting to support the initiative and the brand that I want to push and the conversations that I want to hold. Walmart's Maker Studio featured beat clothing designs by Hampton Boyer, which sold out on the first day of the festival. How did you feel the moment everything sold out on the network? Uh, when they texted me and told me that, I was like, I was floored. I was like just walking by myself on the strip and uh, I got that text and so it was just like, Again, just a beautiful experience. I myself got to partake in some of the festivities, getting my festival-inspired look completely set at the Glow Up with Black-owned beauty brands. The chillin' in the lounge with some of the people as they took a break. And if you're not in the festival mood, there's always the big venue option. Beyonce is crushing it on her European leg of the Renaissance Tour. Beyonce is expected to gross over $2 billion globally with the Renaissance World Tour. And not to be left out of this frenzy for touring, Janet Jackson's Together Again tour is bringing that fan base feeling for that Jackson touch. I think one of the most anticipated tours that we can look forward to this summer is SZA. Um, you know, all those weeks setting that record number one consecutive. This summer is also an opportunity for rising acts to make a name, including Young Dolph's protege, Keylock. He continues to, you know, carry on the legacy of, uh, uh, young Dolph and, and um, you know, do things over there with Paper Root Inter Empire. And regardless of who y'all are going to see this summer, expect to drop some serious nickels and dimes.
The average ticket price, according to Billboard, is around $350. That's your nosebleed. You're just in there. You're just happy to be here, seats. For those premium stage side four seat, you're looking at about $1,400. And of course, on my bucket list, Beyonce's Renaissance Tour Stop. And you know it was expensive. You know, we'll put on the credit card, pay as we go. Exactly. Tickets lay on away. Lay away. <laughs> After the break. Condo paid for, no car payment. <laughs> The only Christopher we acknowledge is Wallace, showing love to Big Papa more than 25 years after his death. I used to read Word Up magazine. <laughs> this week here at Revolt, we are celebrating Big Papa and the notorious B.I.G. On May 21st, the hip hop legend would have turned 51 years old. It's been more than 25 years since Biggie was senselessly murdered in a drive-by shooting in L.A. Well, tonight, we are honoring the legend. I would like to say to the world, happy Biggie Day! Happy Biggie Day! Brooklyn, lick some shots! Young Christopher Wallace, born May 21st, 1972, hailing from Brooklyn, New York. Anytime I hear the big story, it's just one that's remarkable. Big turned his everyday struggle into a dream, signing to Bad Boy Records in the early 90s and releasing Ready to Die, his first studio album. Biggie made me want to work at Bad Boy. As much as Puff was that guy, Biggie was like his greatest creation. And his career took to the sky. Anytime he asked us to be on the record or he made mention of us in the record, uh, it just always did something for us. Known as one of the greatest storytellers of all time, Big's lyrical flow put him firmly on the top of nearly everybody's list. He was such a talent and a lyricist and a wordsmith, but was able to put all that to track. From the streets to business to fashion, in just 24 short years, Biggie made an unforgettable mark on the culture. Biggie influenced hip hop. If you listening to him, you already influenced. However, I say Gucci down to the socks, rings and watch filled with rocks. Way to get right with the Gucci's and all Make sure the really and everything is in the full effect of brim He made it fly to be him, but that's who he was. But that wasn't a persona. That's who he was for real. Now he's the voice of generations as his music continues to trend on social media. To know that, you know, certain records uh, will just never die. He will forever be talked about when you talk about the legacy of hip-hop. Biggie's the person who keeps it all together. Even in death, Biggie's the person that kept it all together. That's all it was, though. That's all it was was a dream. The notorious rapper, the trendsetter, the father, the friend, still lives on as we celebrate his birthday on what will forever be known as Biggie Day. Yo, happy birthday, Biggie. Happy birthday, Biggie! Happy birthday to my big brother. I love you, man. I miss you. Big. Happy birthday, man. We miss you. We're still here. 
Happy birthday, Big. You changed the game forever. Rest in peace, King. Well, that wraps it up for us. We're going out today celebrating Biggie. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, Revolt on YouTube, our Revolt Black News podcast, and download the Revolt app. Good night, everyone. You want to see the inside? I'll see you later. Here come the drama. Oh, that's with the fake. Wow. Why you punch me in my face? Stay in your place. Play your position. Here come my intuition. Go in this nigga pocket. Rob him while his friends watch it. That hoes clock Here comes respect. His crew's your crew, or they might be next. Look at they man eye. Big man, they never try, so we roll with them. Stole with them. I mean loyalty. Niggas bought me milks at lunch. The milks with chocolate, the cookies, run a crunch. Ain't it? Oscars and blue and white duck. Ask the If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.